Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, hello, and welcome to Back to Basics. My guest today is Jonathan Dumas. He defines himself as a traveler on three lanes of passion, which are hosting his own podcast, Highly Visible and a Little Misunderstood, his career transition coaching practice, and his boutique consulting firm, Common Culture Consulting. Jonathan believes that joy, authenticity, community, and equity all play a vital role in the overall experience of our careers. He's on a mission to empower individuals and groups to own their stories, unleash their skills, and cultivate workplaces where they truly thrive. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome to Back to Basics. Hi, how's it going? How are you? Well, very excited, very excited. Anytime I, I speak with somebody that uh, shares that passion and any, everything I read about you, you can you can feel the energy. I get very excited ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I've been told I'm really charismatic. I have a ton of energy. Um, it really comes from my family. We, we were just all together recently, and just the amount of laughing that happens, the energy. It's it, to some people they come into it, it feels chaotic, but it's like that's home to me. I love to bring the energy. So yeah, I love well, it. Well, I love it, and they say energy is contagious, so it is a good <laughs> quality to have. Yeah. So tell me a little bit. Well, I love that you 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 started with you know my family was together. Tell me a little bit about your young years and like kind of uh, you know who who you were as a younger child. And uh, we we've established you were energetic. Uh, what yeah. other things you were passionate about, and what did you envision yourself doing uh, as you grew up? Yeah. So such a good question. So growing up, I feel like I was kind of odd. I did a lot of the typical stuff like you know, played sports, like I played baseball growing up, basketball, dodgeball, all those things, really athletic. And yeah, I'd love to move. My family goes on walks. Uh, we'd love to get outdoors and stuff like that. So that's always been like a part of an aspect of me to get that like energy out. But then when I'm at home, I could play for hours by myself, just, you know, working on a puzzle or organizing things, putting things into order. And what's interesting is that my mom, she had me at a pretty young age and she, uh, she told me all of my life since I was like, since I was a baby, honestly, that I was going to be a lawyer. And, uh, you know, I took that to heart. I internalized that. And I thought I was going to be until my second semester of uh, senior year. I was about to graduate probably a month out. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> I don't want to be a lawyer. And I remember having a conversation with my mom. I don't want to do that. And uh, yeah, I ended up just bouncing around a few jobs. And then uh, there was one particular job that I didn't have a great work experience. And then I, I was like, you know what, there has to be some way of doing like work better, managing people better, leading people better. And that's when I went and got my degree in um, organizational psychology, studied mm -hmm. leadership and diversity. So, but it's so funny. Do you remember, and sorry to to, to stop you yeah, there, but ahead. do you remember, because I like to pinpoint these things also for yeah. our younger audience, which we've had uh, yeah. younger teenagers, you know, um, do, do you remember exactly what was it made it say, mm, this is not for me? Like, what was it about what you were doing? So it's not just the people that were around me that were saying like, you know, 
the U.S. has like makes up most of the lawyers in the world, like most of the lawyers in the world. And they're like, you know, you don't have the personality to be a lawyer. It wasn't just those things like that got in my head, but it wasn't that. When I thought about like what it actually meant to do the job, like I looked at like you're actually dealing with a lot of paperwork. You're doing a ton of research. You're not interacting with a lot of people, a majority of the job. I was like, oh, that is actually something I don't want to do. And then I have to go to law school for three years and people are telling me it's incredibly hard. So if I already don't think I want to work with paperwork for majority of the time, and we're not even going to be in in court <laughs> a lot of the time, yeah. a lot of stuff gets figured out before you even make it to court, then why would I invest hundreds of thousands of dollars, number one, study for the LSAT, do all that stuff when I don't even want to do it. And so um, I think that that actually was the first big decision that I had I had made that actually went against, you know, people telling me what I was going to do with my life. That was the first time I said, I'm going to do something different. Um, and it really comes down to like listening to yourself and trusting your intuition. Like, is that something you can actually see yourself doing? And for me, that was not. That absolutely was yeah. not. And I always ask that because I mentor younger kids, right? And, mm. and one of the things I always say is like, imagine your life. Imagine your life after you study whatever you, it is that you, and it's exactly what, what you did. It's like visualizing. So I like to get tips yes. about this. And for, for the record, adults, we should do this more often too. Every time we Absolutely. embark on any new thing, even, you know, people that say, you know, I love to have my own business. And, and the one thing they say is I want to be my own boss. And then, and then I always say, well, you know, that at that point, you're going to have to know every paycheck. Where is it coming going to come from if there's yep. money in the bank, blah, blah, blah. And then you can see their faces like <laughs> panicking. And yes. I say nobody thinks about that, those things, you know, they just think about the the, the goal and, and what it represents. Yeah, so, no, that's so true. So, so true. in any case, uh, let's fast forward then. So you went, you started your career leadership, and that's definitely more aligned, I can tell, with the personality uh, yeah. that you embarked. So where did you go ever in the corporate world you went because you help people with career transitions so mm -hmm. but i'm sure you had a few career transitions or on your own of your own to get there absolutely so i started my career in higher ed actually so um i was admissions counselor and had a lot of those conversations you have with uh that you have with your mentees around what do you want your life to look like right what do you want your uh your life like it doesn't you know you have to have it all figured out but like what do you envision yourself in four years can this place this institution get you there and then after after higher ed i realized that you know that's not for me i transitioned into nonprofit world um and i did eight some hr stuff that nonprofit i felt the same thing around higher ed as far as why i left and i did transition into corporate which you know was a little bit more bureaucratic <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, still bureaucratic it was fine, but I I didn't, it didn't feel right. Like I still wasn't doing and interacting with people the same way, supporting people in the same way. Because what I found in higher ed is that like, I loved helping people figure out the next step and what they wanted to do with their life. And I, I found that out with like volunteer positions and all these different things. And so what was interesting is that I uh, got my certification as a coach and then the pandemic hit. So I was doing a role that was in corporate. It was more of hospitality, like co-working spaces. I was managing a couple of them. The pandemic hit, my job literally changed. And I really enjoyed that job. I wasn't doing exactly what I wanted to do, but it was a fun job. Um, I worked with amazing people. But so after, after the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what? 
let's see what happens. And so three years later, I'm still working for myself and doing this thing. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. That's fantastic. And so, and the good thing is, and I, and I read it on the bio that you have like three pillars or three lanes, Mm -hmm. as you call, which I love because they intersect very well. So Mm -hmm. let's start with that. You you kind of uh, mentioned them in order of passion. So let's start with your podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. And I'm sure that some of my audience are going to check it out. Oh yeah. So the, the show is called Highly Visible and Little Misunderstood. We talk about big, complex things in nuanced ways. And it initially started out as like a personal journey. There was a lot of questions that I had for my family, for my friends, the people that I come up with these ideas about and may assume what I know about them, but I didn't really know. And so this was my opportunity to ask them, you know, um, mom, why didn't you talk about race more? <laughs> ask my brother, like my youngest brother, who's nine years apart, and we've had vastly different upbringings. Like, what was it like to grow up basically like a an only child? Because I was already at college when he was still young. Yeah, I have real conversations that I've never had with um, some other friends. So it's, and it kind of morphed and slowly changed after I had, during the pandemic, me and my, me and my wife were an interracial couple. And we were talking about like really real things that we were dealing with in our relationship. And so um, that kind of changed the dynamic of it. And so people wanted more of the, honest dialogue in a grounded way. And so I love having conversations in that way and really like try and see and understand people's perspective. So that's the, that's, that's the podcast. I really love, I love it now. And now I do like more of a thematic or serious kinds of things. So um, Mm, that's what we've shaped it and shifted to now. Yeah. I love it. I love having a fellow podcaster on the show. It makes it so much easier because you you know, that I'm learning from you as, as a fellow podcaster. So uh, that that's fantastic. And I know that you're also, you know, in terms of you have a consultant business mm-hmm. and you specialize also on DEI, diversity, mm. equity, and inclusion, and then so, you add an, a B to it. So tell us. Yeah. About so uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So for the company that I, I have a partner for, her name's Catherine Castro, amazing individual. What we do is we actually do leadership development through the lens of DEIB. So our goal is for folks to have a thriving career at where they're at, right? And I think that there's some things that we've been told that, you know, oh, this doesn't belong in the workplace or or like you have to separate work self from personal self or whatever. But we go in and help people, uh, a team, really have conversations that are uncomfortable and we mitigate and like facilitate those spaces. And so one of those ones that we talk about is like, all right, as leaders, we have to like shift the paradigm of instead of being deficit-based, we have to be asset-based, right? So if somebody, if they're first-generation like corporate space, a first-generation college student, or if English second language or immigrant or whatever, these long-standing disabilities, right? That like we have to see the bigger picture of who they are because who they are actually adds and contributes to the organization significantly. Like there's plenty of studies that show that when you embrace Um, diversity, culture, backgrounds, all these different things. Innovation goes up, creativity goes up, job fulfillment goes up, so on and so forth. So those are the kind of conversations we help teams have. Um, It's really, really Mm -hmm. fun. Challenging work, really, really fun. (laughs) I imagine. And I I would love to take, get your perspective on something that I've thought for a long time. I have, you know, I was in the corporate world for many, many years and I see people that are are so committed to the company where... Mm where their identity almost is blurry, right? Like they, when they talk and they say, we, 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 it's Mm. so funny. I've seen people leave companies 
And they still, when they tell you something about that company, they say, we, and I want to stop them. I'm like, do you realize that you don't work there no more? Or yeah. do you realize, you know, and I went through a, through a big layoff. I mean, the company I was working for, Nortel, they, they lay off everybody until eventually going under. Mm. Um, so, you know, I kind of early on kind of went through that process where it's funny how we give everything to a company and in that under the pretense of belonging. If yes. we, and that's why I was thinking about that. Now you mentioned it, but there's people that belong so much that they kind mm. of get lost into who they are. Yeah, I, I would like to 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 you know get your perspective on that. Yeah, I think when we look at the when we look at how business is conducted traditionally, there was like this rah rah rah. You're a part of a team. We're a family, so on and so forth. Right? Where realistically, we know that that's actually maybe team-wise or department-wise that may possibly potentially could have been true, where there's like this connectedness between employee and employer. But organizationally, businesses, from the very beginning, big corporations, I'll say, that's actually big corporations, that like they don't actually have employees in mind, right? Like their main sole purpose is to make money for their shareholders, for board members, so on and so forth. Like they have to answer to somebody, CEOs, all these C-suite folks. So there's psychology in getting people to buy into the values of the company to make you feel like you belong, whatever, right? But ultimately that's not their goal. Their goal is for you, <laughs> for you to do your job well enough so that the company makes a lot of money. And so I think as a individual employee, if I'm getting paid well, if I'm getting treated well, if I don't hate my job, it's fine. Then I'm like, yo, I'm a part of something, being a part of a team. There's some like sociologically individuals, we're um, humans, we're, we like to be a part of something. We like to feel like we belong. And so I think the old school model would say like, yeah, like you got a good job, pension, whatever. Cool. But I think what, we're, what we've seen, particularly in the last, I would say 10-ish years, that there's a dramatic shift and swing of saying that companies are not even like pretending to care anymore about employees that like they're so quick to lay off things are happening a lot faster people are not staying at these jobs anymore and so like you're seeing like this shift in like almost tussle around employees who has greater power within business structures so on and so forth and i personally think employees have a lot more power um, and autonomy than they think if they come together and like demand that from organizations but when individuals like have this like, we, 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 I'm all in, I'll do whatever for the company. And then all of a sudden they get laid off. And then what happens, right? There's like this identity that's tied to to their work, which I think also is a very American thing too, for us to like be so tied and dedicated to work. We work mm -hmm. so much. And I think that's why I talk about passions more than I talk about like, this is what I do, this is what I am, because I do these things. I like to do these things. A lot of times I love to do the things that I do, but it's not what I do. If my podcast were to go away, if my coaching practice were to stop, if all those things were to end, I would not be in disarray because I'm not tied. My identity is not tied to what uh, those three pillars. I'm passionate about them. But like my first introductions is I'm a husband, I'm a brother, I'm a son. That's the, those things are mm -hmm. significantly more important to me than, than the work that I do. And so it's taken a lot of work. And I think there's people that need to do that work of separating themselves from what they do um, to who they are. So that there's like a level of groundedness too. 
Mm-hmm. Sorry, I that was a lot. <laughs> so, no, no, so. but I love, I love that point. That, that was a very strong point you make at the end, separating what you do with who you are. It sounds so simple, but it's, mm-hmm. it's. I think it's, it's the key in everything. So I imagine that's when you became a coach mm-hmm. and you help people do career transitions and career pivots. I mean, I'm sure you see a lot of this. And I, and I read in, in the research I did about you, how you describe the terms career despair and career joy. And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of, you know, there are good terms to to establish. Like, when do, when do you know if, if you're desperate in your career, if you're suffering from what you call career despair? Yeah. So even to just like put it into context for folks, like career despair is an emotional and psychological like distress that you're experiencing when you're like thinking about, your work. It's in the context of work, right? So if you're, if you, you know, we've heard of the term like uh, Sunday scaries, right? Where you like Sunday comes and there's a deep dread about Monday, or, you know, you, you're, you're sitting at your desk or you're on these calls and just your mind is elsewhere. Like you, you feel like, what am I doing? That, that, that it's, you feel stagnant in what you're doing. You feel unfulfilled and it feels kind of hopeless. Right. That's what this career despair. And I think that there's points where we dip into it and dip out of it, whether we have these like moments that feel, you know, happy in the moment. We have a cool coworker, or whatever. But yeah, like it's a long feeling of this, like it's consistent. Right. Mm. And so like folks can pinpoint these moments. Like if you feel like if you think about your work and you said it at the top of uh, at the top of this, too, of like we need to take a moment to start even people who have been in their careers for a while, take a moment to like reevaluate our jobs, our life, what's going on, and really see what's going on for you in your work. And I have a roadmap to like make that transition. And the first one is acknowledging what you're feeling. Are you feeling hopeless? Are you feeling stagnant? Do you feel unfulfilled in what you're doing? And that's typically where I start with my coaching clients. Mm, very, very interested. And, and so what do you see in your experience? Because I, my feeling is that there are a lot of us and, and you know, I'd like to talk inclusively, but, you know, I, one of the things when I get in my elevator at the office mm-hmm. building where I work every, you know, no matter what day of the week, what I will hear is something in reference to the weekend. So it's uh, oh, three more days to go. Oh, well, you know, it's a tomorrow is Friday or is it Friday yet? And mm. then on Monday is like, oh, Monday again. And I always, <laughs> you know, I pay attention, but I, I I challenge anybody that's listening that works in a big office building and see if every time or almost every time you get on that elevator, you don't mm. hear a reference to that. And so, you know, to me, it's very scary because I'm almost like I go the opposite way. It's like four more days to go. I have so much to do. I want to yeah. I want to change so many things. And people are yeah. like, who is she? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like I, it, may, it makes me afraid because mm. I realize this, this is the environment that mm. we live in. And as I would say initially, energy is contagious. And if yes. I hear this every day in one shape or form, my my mind starts thinking like that. Yeah. You find that there's a lot of that in, in the people you coach, in, in what you've learned through your coaching programs. Yeah. Well, that that's what we know. That's such a good, such a good point, right? That that level of energy, that that way of talking about work, their work week, the things that they do when they're coming to the office, it is contagious, right? And I think. I want to nuance it a tiny bit. I'll say that those are just things that sometimes people say like, oh, I want to get to the weekend, whatever. I don't want to be here, right? Because again, we America, we work so much. 
We work a lot. Everything is built around our work, right? But I will say that those are actual feelings that people are feeling, right? And I think that folks, that's the surface level feeling that people will just say, I want to get to the weekend. Oh my gosh, it's Monday. Like, I want to challenge people. Like, when you say that, when you hear that, like, what does that mean? What are you feeling, right? Is that momentary? Is that something that like, maybe there's a shift or a change you can make in your work? And this is something I talk to with my clients. It's like, do you actually want to make a change out of your career? Because it's a big, that's a big commitment to search for a job, to, to like intentionally search for a job, not just get a new one for a paycheck. It's like when you want to get into a place where you like actually like the work that you do, the people that you, you work with, the, the company that you're, that's doing the work, whatever, um, it's a lot of work to find a good workplace. And so I always start with like, do you actually want to leave your job? Like, what are you feeling? Is this momentary? And we navigate those feelings first because it could be some minor shifts and changes. Like you could just need some better boundaries with your workplace. You could may need to like shift and change the work that you're doing, right? Is it possible for you to have a hybrid schedule? Do you have to come into work every day? Can you have conversations around there? Are there shifts and changes you can make at where you're currently at? And I think folks just get caught up in the hamster wheel mm-hmm. of the work day where they're just like, I am so tired. I want to be here. I'd rather be home, right? And I think I wonder what would happen. And this is something I would say, I wonder what would happen if folks had a longer weekend. If folks had a, we switched mm-hmm. to a four day work week. Um, mm-hmm. Like what would that do for folks? I remember when I worked in corporate and every, after every three day weekend, I would come back significantly more rejuvenated. And well, I like to work, but excited to, to get stuff done. Like I love accomplishing things. So, so that's what I would say about that. And that's what I've seen. Um, I just challenge them to, to rethink because a, tra- a career transition is a lot. Um, it's mm-hmm. a lot to do. I hear you. And I just read that uh, Bill Gates actually laid it, paved out the way to a three-day work uh, week, work, work week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in France, and I'm so happy that you made the point about the U.S. because I'm obviously not from here. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's the one thing as a foreigner that hits us the most, mm-hmm. especially if you have ties to Europe. Uh, it's, you know, the way of working and living is completely different and, and, and you feel it. And that's why Americans, when they, when they travel, especially to that parts of the world, they say, we want to move here. It's not Mm -hmm. that you're moving only because it's beautiful. The food is great and all that beauty and the history. (laughs) I mean, it has, and mostly I think it's because they're able to breathe at a, Mm -hmm. at a, a, calmer pace and it's hard mm-hmm. to explain because once you're there uh people say we work a lot too and they do yeah but it's just the way of working and the expectations mm-hmm. like in germany i think it's actually legal to send an employee an email after work hours like mm-hmm. you have to write your emails and put them on the offline and then yep. send them within the the hours of you know business hours so to speak so that you don't push this stress into the others Yes. And I think the competitive nature here in the U.S., it's something to watch um, yeah. because everybody feels that we are competing so much all the time. Mm-hmm. That's so true. That's so true. And I think what I have shifted in, especially even as an entrepreneur, like when I when I think about like, what do I want my life to look like as I'm working? And I try to model this for my clients. It's like, I don't want to live to work. Like, I don't want to wake up and having to, all right, I got to start at 8 30 9 o'clock and then i gotta go 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 and then like there's nothing left for the things and the people that are important to me there's nothing left for me to give to um, my wife my family my hobbies the things that i'm really really passionate about 
right? And I just, I just, I just think that we could do it differently. And I think asking the question, and it's a valid question to ask, is like, is the way that we've been working, is the way that we've been doing things in America truly the right way, right? Because when we think about it, uh, there was a study done in I think the 70s or 80s about stress, and it was with um, monkeys, right? And so basically what they did is they were trying to test the levels of stress. And so they just watched these like monkeys. I forgot the kind of monkeys they watched, but they were watching the monkeys. And, and typically they assumed that the leader monkey would have so much stress going on in their lives, right? Because they have to manage all these people. They have to do this stuff. They have to do this thing. Um, what they found is that um, when these tasks or like when it came to get food, um, uh, move, like play, whatever was happening, the monkeys that had the most stress in their bodies were the people on the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. And so like we were taking this in the context of work. When we think about even work, the people that are impacted the most are the people at the bottom, the people, those middle level managers, those people on the front lines dealing with employees that are angry or upset <laughs> that have mm -hmm. to solve the problem. Um, it's not the people that are at the top. They do have stresses, like all those different things. When we think about a corporate context, there's less stress, actual stress on the people that are on top than there are on the bottom. And so I think that we just have to rethink are the expectations around work, on the expectations of what we're doing, people-centered or work-centered? I think that those are the questions that we have to ask. And I would, we obviously know the answer, it's work-centered, but, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, yes. but it's just the shift that, uh, that I think that is vital to make because people are so tired. Like they're so, so tired, emotionally, psychologically, physically. Yeah, and people are just exhausted, burnt out. Yeah, and and I think uh, that's a great point. And I've I've read also a recent study that you know after the pandemic we had you know the new normal of course and mm -hmm. the hybrid and the thing and now now we're going through the stage where employers want people back to the office for the most part and they're saying they're predicting that this whole you know work from home thing is not gonna stay longer and if you're lucky you maybe going to be able to work one day from home so that I guess we're all figuring it out but yeah. the, the reality is that employees are not happy even with that hybrid model even mm -hmm. with that you know so now it's really up to us to understand what is that we want because mm -hmm. some people say oh if I could work from home or what you just said if I had one more day of the weekend but once mm -hmm. we get that mm -hmm. and then if we are living still unfulfilled lives that extra day is not going to be enough in an unfulfilled exactly. life. You're not dealing with the main problem, as you very likely highlighted that, mm -hmm. you know, you have to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. So so what, what do you think uh, is going to happen with this fact that a lot of people, I think historically, we never had more desperate people uh, <laughs> in terms of their jobs. Like yes. people are really experiencing that career despair that you mentioned. Yeah. I think that, and this might just be the circles that I, I run in and people that I know, I think that there is, no, it's not, it's not just that. Generationally, what we're experiencing is like boomers that are generation boomers and then those Gen Zers, millennials a little bit, but mostly Gen Zers, like that, the combination of those folks, like Gen Zers are inter have entered the workforce and they're like, y'all work a lot. I don't want to work that much, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this clash that's already been happening with millennials but is continuing at a higher rate. And I think more overtly with Gen Zers that like they are not, they're not going to take that. Like they don't want to do that. 
And so I think it is, yes, you have to, you have to work. Like I, I, I think there's a misconception around Gen Zers and millennials that like, we don't want to work. We're lazy. Uh, we want a four day work week. Uh, I worked five work weeks. Like you're going to be fine. But like, we have to put into context that like millennials and Gen Zers have experienced 2008 with the, the crash of the economy, almost another recession, a borderline recession currently, a pandemic, 20 year war, global warming, like the list goes on and on and on about the, the vast mass traumas that we're experiencing, a collective trauma that we're experiencing. And so like the expectation for us to just live to work, it's not the same. Like we don't want to do that. And so I think they're ultimately to get back to your question. I think that with all of that, that we know have experienced, I think that there is going to continuously be a push to like do work differently. I don't think it's going to stop. I think folks want to do work differently. And I think corporations, the big ones, need to pay attention. And folks aren't going to get lulled to sleep <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. with like ping pong tables and pizza parties. Like that's not <laughs> that's not it. And folks are thinking deeply about what they need. And I think there's a level of flexibility, autonomy, deep questions that that one, as individual employees, we need to ask ourselves, what do we actually want? What is going to make me happy? And that sometimes that takes a long time to figure out. But organizations actually being willing to implement necessary changes, too. Mm. So I think that that's a big piece there. Us yeah, figuring I, out what I we love, want. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I love yeah. I love the point that you make about corporations need to pay attention, like asking the questions. If you're an individual and and, and if ha- where are you in your life and, and, and what you're doing, but also you know, the fact that the corporations and employers really need to pay attention into also that generational shift, because I do agree, agree with you. Uh, so, Jonathan, I always leave a, a space for my guests to highlight anything else that we haven't uh, discussed. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that is exciting you these days that you want to share with the audience? Of course, I'll share your your web page where people can yeah. contact you if they're interested in, in, in chatting some more. Anything else you want to highlight? Yeah, I think the only thing I forgot to mention uh, today was like we talked about the career despair piece, but like I do come across a lot of folks who do experience like that career joy. And just to like give folks an idea of what that means is career joy is this like profound fulfillment and contentment when you experience like a connective tissue with who you are with what you do. And it's like a inner sense of like well-being, uh, the success that you feel and emotional satisfaction. And so it's this deep lasting soul satisfying happiness, not like those momentary uh, pieces. And so, yeah, if folks are interested in learning more about that and connecting with me, you can check out my website. But those are the things I'm excited about. I'm really, really excited about helping people figure that piece out. And it's not something that we just figure out overnight. It's a lot of self-discovery. It's asking yourself deep questions, giving yourself space to think and uh, ponder. Yeah. And I and I love what I do as a, mm. as a coach. So. Yeah. yeah, I knew I knew from the moment we said hello that you had that energy and and I mean it's been fantastic. I, I I'm inspired. I I can yeah. tell why you're a great coach and what you're doing, <laughs> what you're meant to do. And so you know, my last question of every interview is, uh, what is the thing that makes you tick in those moments where you also have the low and you need to reconnect, resource to your soul? Mm. When I need to like reconnect with my soul. So I mentioned before that like um, I used to move a lot as a kid, sports and everything like that. And so when the world is too much, when work is too much, when I'm just exhausted and spent, I like to turn off electronics. I like to put on some of my favorite music, just like chill music, 
I love jazz, R&B, neo soul, and stretch. And I think as an athlete, I've been an athlete most of my life. I was taught that I need to be vigorous. I need to like go hard. But in recent years, I've shifted that to being a lot more slower and like gentle with my body and paying attention to what my body needs, which is an interesting shift because it feels uncomfortable. Um, but that slow pace and like paying attention to every stretch and movement um, and doing yoga has been really, really like fulfilling to me. It grounds me. It makes me feel calm. And so, yeah, that's what I typically do. I love it. I, I, I don't like to disappoint you, but it's also called aging. You're obviously still young. You have a way to go. But when you when you, <laughs> when you mention shifts, like I was an uh, athlete, and, all, and now I feel like I need to stretch a little bit more. <laughs> hey, you might got a point there because my knees, they start to get low. <laughs> when I come from, they call it aging, my friends. <laughs> Yeah, Jonathan, it's been great to chat with you and, and I admire what you're doing and keep, you know, shining bright because uh, you're doing important work and, and, and it's inspiring. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of you out there, I hope you are a little bit more inspired. And uh, until the next episode of Back to Basic. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.